Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Story time. Some of you may remember that back in 2014, a man named Eric Frayne ambushed two Pennsylvania state troopers, killing one before fleeing into the woods, armed and intent to cause trouble, and beginning an almost 50-day manhunt in the wet forests of eastern Pennsylvania. That part of Pennsylvania is beautiful but treacherous land. It's rolling, gentle hills with thickets of scrub and hidden bogs. There are a million swamps to traverse, and some of those hills are secretly just piles of shale waiting to slide out from your feet. 
the tree cover is dense, and you cannot walk a straight line for 50 feet. Mr. Frayne knew this land well, you see, and it's why he dodged a massive manhunt for about six weeks, often teasing the trackers and their dogs. He laid traps, stored weapon caches, and generally relived Rambo, first blood but with way less fighting. I was working as a wetland scientist scouting out a proposed path for a natural gas pipeline through that land. In the middle of the manhunt. In the very same forest Mr. Frayne hid in. So we were in the woods being stopped by search teams, buzzed by helicopters, and, in all likelihood, crossing old trails laid by Mr. Frayne himself. When the pipe bomb traps hit the news, I spent every moment scanning the forest floor for tripwires. It was a frightening experience at odds with that land in early autumn. The bushes and the swamp started to turn fiery red while the leaves went orange and yellow. The air is crisp and there's enough green for it to stand out. Everything is covered in a light mist in the morning that burns off by lunchtime, and the sun is clear and warm. There is nothing so off-putting as standing in radiant beauty believing you are in absolute peril. When I was in my early 20s, my friends and I thought it would be a brilliant idea to go night hiking through some woods said to be haunted. It was a very 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 old town that died out due to some illness, I believe the rumor said tuberculosis. You can walk the horse path and there are stone foundations on either side of you. Really neat, actually. You were supposed to be able to hear children laughing and dancing in the trees, apparently. Yeah, didn't hear any children laughing, but I did record our whole hike. That night, going over the footage with a friend of mine on his TV, he told me to stop and rewind. I did, and we must have rewound that thing 30 times. There was a face peeking behind trees following us. Not a human face, a weird. Gremlin-type face, distorted. Large sunken eyes and a flat nose, pointy chin. We thought we were seeing things, but we watched it so many times, adjusted the brightness and contrast on his TV. Sure as shit. Never went back. Although I am currently homeless I am not without a job. I decided to leave the army after three years of service due to pretty terrible pay and long uncompensated hours at work. After a few months of job searching I was able to line a pretty great job as a fraud investigator in Kansas City. The pay was excellent and the only thing that would keep anyone from accepting this job was the commute distance of a thousand miles from Fort Bragg, NC. An additional obstacle would be that once I did get there I wouldn't have the funds to rent an apartment. Essentially I would be homeless for two weeks until I got my first paycheck. For many people this would be a deal breaker and I can see why but being in the army for so long I got used to eating shit sandwiches for breakfast and making almost any situation work for me. We used to go to the field for weeks at a time and that would involve camping in the woods and in most cases not having showers until we left for home. Since this wasn't a new situation for me I had accepted the job offer and made my way over to Kansas City as soon as I was released from my duties from the army. ETS. I like to drive so I was able to make that trip in just two days. Once I got to my new city I got to searching for areas the locals or police wouldn't mind someone camping for an extended amount of time. 
By nightfall I was able to find a natural area, a patch of gravel next to the road only a few feet from the woods, where camping up to two weeks was free and no one would bother me until I had the funds to move into my own apartment. I had brought some supplies in preparation for this. Extra clean clothes, canned food, sheets and wet towels I could use to shower in the mornings. Since I didn't have a camping tent I decided to convert the back of my car into a bed. After placing the back seats down I actually had enough space to comfortably sleep in so I placed some sheets down and decided to tie another sheet above me so no one could peek in through my windows and see me sleeping there. For a few days this worked just fine but as I was driving back to my campsite one night I started to notice some weird things. When I was working on my bed setup I noticed that the forest went dead quiet, usually croquets and other animal noises would rule the night air but it was completely silent that night. The moment I noticed I felt completely uneasy and felt like I was being watched. I hurried with what I was doing and jumped in my secure car. A couple of minutes passed until I was able to ignore that overwhelming feeling of dread and browse some YouTube videos. Eventually I forgot about the situation and fell asleep. A couple of hours into the night I got up as I usually do and noticed that the window closest to my face was foggy as someone had been breathing on the other side. I was disoriented and grabbed my phone to check what time it was. I paused for a moment. There was a sound coming from the other side of the makeshift bed, the other window that was covered by the sheet that was only a few inches above me. The sound was light gentle tapping on the glass, I doubt if I wasn't already awake I would have heard it. The fear took a few moments to register and it took me a few more moments to think through if I really wanted to investigate further. Eventually my morbid curiosity won over and I quietly and gently reached for the sheet pulling it up ever so slightly. What I saw made me choke. On the other side of the window there was some creature. Big, hairy and crouching over to my window. Before you ask, no it wasn't Bigfoot, it had hair on what I could see of its body but it was thinning and patchy. It was big but not muscle bound, it was very skinny and had long claws on its bony hands, it was tapping on the window with them. The most grotesque of its features was that horrible smile. Its smile was ear to ear, I don't know if it was because it was enjoying this or if it saw me when I took a quick peek at it. I tried not react as if I tried to make it to my front seat to drive away, it could easily break through the window with those sharp claws and get to me. So for the next couple of hours I just laid in my makeshift bed, praying that the thing outside my window didn't break in and kill me. Eventually the tapping stopped and the sun came up. I got out of my car the next morning and investigated the area around my car. There were weird tracks all over my campsite that only confirmed I hadn't imagined the whole thing and there really was something on the other side of my window. Why it didn't just break into my car and do whatever it wanted to do is only one of the questions nagging at me. The other would be how long had that thing actually been coming to my campsite at night and had it been the first time it came so close to me or had this just been the first time I had caught it. Either way I found a new campsite tonight far away from where I had my encounter with that creature. I think I'll need to move again in the morning if I make it that long because as I'm typing this I can hear something tapping at my window. My name is Rec, but you can call me Terrace. That was, after all, 
My nickname in Iraq. I had a few buddies who called me that. I guess it's like some kind of slang war as hell, but over there, they play by different set rules. Anyway, I was in the military for about 8 years, and since then, I have worked as some kind of private contractor for the last 5. I don't know if I should be telling you this story, but anyway, even if your website is anonymous, you never know how safe things are nowadays with all the cyber crime and cyber terrorism going on. It didn't take long after getting off duty to head out towards home, which is just outside of town near this farm that my parents used to own long before they passed. It's not much, just a little place where I store food now and keep my own personal things. But in a way, it is home to me. Feels good to get out of the country after being in that desert for so long. It was already dark when I got off the road about 10 miles from home, maybe thanks to all those darn clouds blocking out any of that beautiful moonlight. So, I figured with the darkness setting in very fast, no sense in wasting time. I got out my magnum flashlight and continued on foot across the bumpy gravel path towards the farm buildings ahead of me, which were now barely visible in this thick black darkness. I made my way past some trees and overgrown vegetation, lighting the road, until I came upon an old pathway that leads to the backside of my parents' old farmhouse. Earlier in the day, I couldn't help but notice that this pathway looked like it had been trampled over by something large. So, I decided to come out here and investigate what was going on. It didn't take long to see why these large tracks were being made across this part of the farmland. The grass was already flattened down by something very heavy walking back and forth through here multiple times. Just short of the summer season, it wasn't hard for me to figure out whatever caused these prints in the ground was probably pretty big. Easily 9 or 10 feet tall if not more, given how wide apart each set of footprints were from each other. So, I came upon a small clearing and stopped, shining my flashlight just ahead of me, and I heard an awful sound that still haunts me to this day, a blood-curdling howl followed by a hissing, crackling, and rumbling. Immediately, the hairs on the back of my arm stood up in fear. I've done some bad things in Iraq, but nothing like what was going on right in front of me. At first sight, my flashlight beam only lit a part of it before its eyes. It was large and black looking before standing fully upright. Its wide shoulders and massive chest were, from what I could tell, covered in a reddish-brown fur. It was hunched over as it looked, the tall grass partially hiding it. At first, I assumed maybe it was some kind of bear, but as my light hit its eyes, they glowed this bright orange amber. It was like two hot glowing coals bathed in crimson anger. Short for a Bigfoot, but no more than six feet tall if I had to guess, all that muscle definition everywhere you looked on its body. What kind of species this thing belonged to eluded me, other than knowing whatever it actually was, it wasn't human friendly. I stood there frozen with tears, staring right back at this creature whose size alone would have easily outweighed me by over 100 pounds, if not more. The jaws on this thing were large and black, opening up so wide I could now see down its throat. As I let out this other unholy howl that made the ground shake underneath our feet, this must be what a deer feels like when looking into an approaching freight train that's about to run it over. 
The only thing we had between us was an open field and darkness surrounding us both during this tense moment of fear and trepidation. The creature wasn't moving towards me at first. For some reason, I knew that engaging with it would have resulted in a death sentence. So, simply, I retracted after the initial shock wore off. I slowly backed away from this thing while keeping my light pointing right at it. It continued to stand there, seeming to be just as afraid of me as I was, or at least it acted that way. Why did it come into the clearing in the first place? We kind of just stood there, having a face-off, what felt like an eternity before I made a mistake that probably would have sealed my fate. In order to back away from this thing, who did not advance towards me but rather stayed where it was, I had no choice but to turn around and run back across the field. Now, I want to say this because it's important, never, and I mean never, do you turn your back and run from a large predator, especially one like this that's unknown. You just don't do it, it entices them to chase you. That's exactly what happened, and I was not even armed when this happened, either. I was about halfway across the clearing when I heard it coming after me, before jumping down and disappearing into the brush, just mere feet away from me. I don't care if you don't believe, you don't have to. I'm telling you the terror of that night is real, and what I endured is real. I had more than enough time to take a good look at this creature, and I would most certainly remember what it looked like. I will never forget that face as long as I live, with those eyes staring into my very soul with pure hatred, is forever embedded into my memory. I have no idea how fast this thing could have chased me down, but I know it would have made a meal out of me if given the chance. As soon as I cleared the trees and got back from around my house, I ran inside, locked every door and window before going up to my bedroom, which was on the second floor of the house with a balcony outside facing where I had just come from. I didn't sleep the entire evening, but the following morning, I actually insisted on staying at a hotel for the time being. Too many strange things were going on around the property, and I wasn't going to take any chances of being mauled to death by some monster. The next day, after what just happened, I finished paying up at the hotel, which had its own little restaurant connected to it, providing pretty good food. So, the front desk person wanted to talk to me about what happened last night. After I kind of gave him a little bit of info on me and what I went through, they told me something very interesting about my ordeal that made me feel more uneasy all over again. He said the hunters who use the fields behind the house and around have seen these large black dogs out there, the largest wolves they've ever seen before, but only during deer hunts, which is the only time of the year that deer are in the area. Can you believe that? I never knew there were wolves here, but the more I thought about it, the more sense it made. These are large, unknown canids, and I don't want anything to do with it. I will describe exactly what happened before, during, and after my involvement in the incident that transpired in January of 2018. It all started from my unit on January's overseas deployment three weeks earlier and were enjoying some much-deserved R&R when the call came we were to immediately regroup at our primary operations base for an emergency action. We all assumed some vital intel had come in concerning an HVT, high-value target, somewhere in a foreign theater. Looking back now I wish that was the case. Unfortunately, 
It wasn't. We were given a brief summary of the situation and we were told we would be given all the particulars once we reached our FOB, forward operating base, which turned out to be the Sierra Nevada mountains. We grabbed our gear, boarded a plane, and departed immediately. None of us knew exactly what kind of situation we were being dropped into, but it quickly became apparent when we reached the FOB that several units from various branches had been mobilized in short order. As we stood in the cluttered briefing room none of us, neither my unit nor the others, was prepared for what we would hear. We were informed that three groups specializing in advanced mountain warfare had been running a training drill in the general vicinity when one of the teams radioed in that they could hear automatic weapons fire from one of the group's last known positions. A helo was soon dispatched to see what was happening since they weren't cleared for any kind of expenditure of ammunition that the other group had reported. After an extensive air search, the helo failed to make contact with the group. It was decided that the second two groups would abandon their training mission and search for the missing group. An aerial search and rescue operation would commence immediately. The other two groups reported finding brass all over the group's base camp, large amounts of blood, and several mutilated bodies all corroborated by the search and rescue team sent to retrieve the remains. It was decided the other two teams would track the remaining members of group one that night. Both teams radioed in saying something was probing their lines and acting very aggressively. They made special mention in the transmission to say they didn't believe it to be of human origins. During the night three more individuals went missing with no trace. It was decided to send helos up to pull them out. All 38 remaining members of groups 3 and 4 were in another room prepared to answer any questions we might have. We spoke with them at length plotted out the first group's last known position, and planned our movements very carefully. The six units that had been brought in would be dropped at various places throughout the range. My unit would be dropped right at the group's base camp and would track them with assistance from another unit, while two units would be job for in advance of our position and work their way back to us. Two other teams would investigate possible secure positions the group could have made their way to. The minute we were on the ground we all knew this was no longer a rescue but a recovery mission, or so we thought. As we moved deeper into the Sierra Nevada mountain range we lost all trace of the first group just as the other two groups had. On our first night out there we were met with the most god-awful noises, screams, and growls. To be exact, we had Blackhawks searching for the source of the sounds as we crept deeper and deeper into the mountains. The only words spoken were between the radio operators of the six teams and the command at the base of the mountain. For 48 hours we searched for the lost group never finding any trace of them. On the third night, the two teams were sent to investigate possible secure positions the group could have gone. We were given direct orders to find them, the missing group, and kill whatever it was that was taking us out. The two teams sent ahead of us were ordered to hunker down and wait for the rest of us to regroup with them. Before going to look for the missing men nine hours later all six teams made their way to the northwest where it was believed the two men went missing. None of us knew exactly what we were facing. The entire range had an eerie quiet about it, both day and night. We all had the feeling we were being watched, yet we could find nothing when we went looking. We knew we weren't so much the hunter as the hunted. 
Whatever was out there with us knew the terrain. It toyed with us for several hours going so far as to let loose this hideous laugh. We caught our first break. One of the other teams came across several shredded MRE packets that were torn to pieces and what we assumed were the remains of a human thigh. For some inexplicable reason whatever this thing has left a trail leading to a small ravine. We knew it wanted us to follow it and knew it had eyes on us. We split up into four teams. Two of us would follow the bait while the other two would attempt to outflank it. We reached the start of the ravine just after sunset and waited, not daring to walk blindly into this thing's ambush. As darkness claimed the entire range, the unit attached to my unit opened up on something creeping around our left flank. We quickly spread out and fired random single shots into the forest pushing it right into our other units waiting to catch this thing. In a classic pincer maneuver, with our kill box set, we moved in only to find ourselves face to face with what I can only describe as the Sasquatch from hell. This thing stood almost 12 feet tall and as wide as an Abrams tank. Even with us going at it with everything we had this thing fought back ferociously killing an additional four men before finally going down. We didn't let up. We put our 203s to work launching enough HPs to melt the damn sun. Once we reported back, the thing was dead. Two Blackhawks, packed with guys in bio suits, showed up and took possession of what remains were left and we were all picked up and flown back to the FOB once there. We were given specific orders to never discuss what happened and return to our individual commands. None of the guys in my unit has gotten much sleep since then. Truth be told, we take hunting terrorists over that thing any day of the week. During my 18 plus years military career I have seen some strange occurrences. But this is by far the strangest. As a city kid, I was lucky enough to have my parents relocate to northern Idaho when I was about 14. My parents separated shortly afterward. They didn't have anyone to teach me anything about the woods but I fell in love with the mountains. I started to hunt when I was about 16. After I would go home after a 26-mile bus ride from school I had about three and a half hours to hunt. I had a favorite spot along the lower North Fork River on the Tamarack Ridge. At that time there were small farms here. One evening while on one of my short hunts for whitetail deer, I saw a group of three along a ridge. I could hear the deer moving through the brush ahead of me. I got down on my knees. They were ahead looking under the brush halfway up the ridge. Then I started feeling fear welling up in me. As I stood up and looked across the valley to the next ridge, about 150 yards away, I saw what looked like a large man carrying a whole deer up the ridge at a very quick pace. I was amazed at how thick the body, arms, and legs were. The Bigfoot covered the distance to the top in just a few minutes. As it crested the top I then was very acutely aware of the fear that was in me. I had trouble controlling it. I checked my rifle to make sure it was loaded. I also carried a caliber 357 mag revolver with me. I checked to see if it was loaded. I was feeling very inadequate for the situation I was in. I was suddenly aware that it was almost dark, so I started moving in the direction of my pickup. I almost started to run but when I would quicken my pace the fear was almost uncontrollable. 
I felt like something was watching me and I could swear I knew from what direction I could hear the brush crack around me, but I don't know if it was related. When I reached the pickup I was afraid to put my gun down to unlock the truck. I thought if I could just get in the truck I could settle down and get a hold of my emotions. I was sitting in the truck and still was not settling down. I got the truck started and I pulled down on the old dirt road along the river. The tightness in my chest started to ease as I drove down the road. I passed the bottom of the ridge where I had the encounter. I stopped and looked up the little trail that led to the ridge trail. Immediately the tightness returned and I felt very vulnerable sitting in the pickup. So I took off faster than I should have been driving on the old road. When I got home my mom asked what was wrong and I just let her think I was frustrated because I didn't get anything. I never told anyone about it until my sons were 14 and 16. The young one believed me and had a hard time hunting by himself. When he first started getting into the woods the older son was and didn't say much about it. But the topic comes after every hunting season in camp. I've never felt fear like that in my life whether staring down the barrel of a gun as a police officer or trekking in a cave and underground. I must be going crazy. I can see a town that doesn't exist. My name is Samuel Baker, I'm a Yellowstone National Park Ranger and I need some advice. I've spent my entire career fighting wildfires for the National Park Service, and after two decades in the field I thought I'd seen everything. Then, about four hours ago, an entire town just appeared in the middle of Yellowstone National Park, and the other ranger and I are the only ones who've been in it. We're not alone, however, as you might expect from something appearing out of nowhere inside one of America's most famous parks. The town is home to many people, some of whom have been there for years. They all seem perfectly normal, but they aren't aware that they live inside a national park. My partner, Thomas, was the first to notice the town. He'd driven into the valley a few hours before dawn one morning and saw a brand new sign on the road. Welcome to Hungry Horse. It read. When he drove past the next bend in the road he saw the motel. That's when he turned around to come and get me. The two of us had driven up the valley together in our trusty old Chevy Blazer and taken the long way around because we hadn't wanted to pass through the town until we were sure what it was. We parked at the base of the mountain and hiked up. We walked across the railroad tracks and passed a small gas station with a lone oil drum full of diesel fuel and another filled with water. The street was lined with old cars, some of which looked like they'd been there for a while, others which had probably just arrived that morning. Hungry Horse wasn't a ghost town, or even abandoned, it was thriving. Thomas and I entered the town cautiously, because despite appearances, this place could be dangerous. While we didn't run into any trouble, we did notice that everyone seemed indifferent to the fact they just appeared out of nowhere. Most of them ignored us completely, although a few gave us strange looks. Some of these people look familiar, I said, looking over at Thomas. He nodded. I know what you mean, Sam. I recognized a couple people in the diner too. It's weird. It's weird. Those words echoed in my head as I watched a man carrying a bucket walk down the sidewalk. It's weird, I repeated silently to myself. My eyes followed his movements. The man carried himself with confidence and purpose, 
but he never looked up at where he was walking. Instead, he stared straight ahead and continued forward without looking back once. He disappeared around the corner of a building and I noticed another person staring directly at me. He was tall and thin, wearing a black hiking jacket. His face was pale and he was bald. He was standing in the doorway of a small coffee shop. He reminded me of the missing hiker we had searched for last week. That's when I realized why I recognized some of the people here. They are all people who have vanished from national parks. That's how we found out that almost every single person in Hungry Horse had been reported missing from national parks. We spoke to everyone we could find. Some refused to talk, others were friendly enough, but none of them knew anything about why they were there. As far as they were concerned, they lived in Hungry Horse, Montana. They weren't sure exactly when they arrived there. A lot of them couldn't remember much before arriving in Hungry Horse. They also told us they'd been here for years. Many of them had been born and raised in the town and believed it was the real deal. They all knew the townsfolk by name and went to school with them. One woman, an older lady named Irene, told us that she had no idea that she'd been reported missing. She worked at the local hardware store and had been living in Hungry Horse for more than 45 years. What about your husband? I asked. Do you have children? Grandchildren? She shook her head. No. I've never married. How do you feel about being here? Do you miss anywhere else? Your family, maybe? Again, she shook her head. Not really. This is my home. As far as she knew, this was the only home she'd ever known. I tried to ask if she missed her family, but she just smiled and told me that her family was right here in Hungry Horse, Montana. We thanked her and left the hardware store, hopping back into our park ranger truck we drove deeper into the town. I really don't like this Sammy, Thomas said. I've had a feeling of being watched ever since we entered town. I looked over at him. He was staring at a man standing by a large semi-trailer outside the diner. The man was holding a jug of milk. I couldn't help but think of the hiker we'd found dead last week. Sam, are you listening to me? I snapped back to reality and looked at my partner, Thomas had started quivering in fear. Sorry, what did you say? I said, I think we should leave. I don't want to be here anymore. I looked around the town. There were so many people here. So many people who shouldn't be here. All of them were perfectly normal. Some of them even knew each other. How could there be so many people in a town that didn't exist? I agree. Let's go. I said. We drove away from the town and back to the ranger cabin. Thomas was still shaking. I'm going to call this in, he said. This whole thing is bullshit, but we better document it anyway. I mean, how could an entire town, full of missing people, just appear in the middle of Yellowstone? I nodded. Okay, I'll be in the cabin. I think Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash 
Upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I need some time to process all this shit. I sat down on the couch and closed my eyes. It all felt unreal. I kept thinking about the hiker we'd found out in the woods last week. He died while out on a hike in the wilderness. He'd been alone and confused. But I just saw him alive and well, in a town that doesn't exist. I opened my eyes and looked around. I took in a deep breath and let it out. It smelled like wood smoke and pine. I stood up and started pacing the room. What am I supposed to make of all this? I asked myself. Is this some kind of sick joke? Did the government put a town in Yellowstone for some reason? What if it's not a town, maybe it's a cover-up for something worse? I thought before zoning out. There was a knock on the door. It startled me out of my daydream. Come in, I yelled. Two men came inside, both dressed in black suits. Are you the one in charge here? One of them asked. I looked at him and nodded. The guy was wearing a badge on his chest and a gun on his hip. He looked like an FBI agent. I'm about to go and talk to them, and I don't know if they'll believe me. What the F do I do? First off let me clarify some things from the my first post. I was a wildland firefighter up until a year ago when I decided I needed a change of pace. They weren't FBI agents. They said they were from a private company that deals with the otherworldly. I sat in front of the two men, waiting for them to start asking questions. So, do you know why I've been assigned to this case? The taller of the two said. You're the only one in the park who knows anything about this. I nodded. Thomas also knows but I think you guys already know that. It's pretty weird. The town you described doesn't exist. Not according to the GPS and satellite data. Yes it does. I answered, surprised. It's a lie, the second man said. He had short blonde hair and wore glasses. We checked every single point on the map, every house, every business. There is nothing there. Bullshit. You can't tell me you've been everywhere in the park and haven't noticed it, I said angrily. When I first came to the park, I saw the sign for Hungry Horse. I thought it was a joke at first, but then I saw the motel, the gas station, the diner, the hardware store, and I saw the people inside them. The man with the glasses nodded slowly. But we've checked every inch of the surrounding area. We've looked at aerial photos, satellite images. We've even flown over the valley with a helicopter. Well, maybe you should have a look again. Maybe you missed something, I said defiantly. We did. There's nothing there. It's not possible. Do I have to show you where it is myself? I asked. Both men exchanged glances. Then the shorter one nodded. Very well. If you're so sure you've seen something unusual, we'll take you there. Thank you, I said. I got out of my chair and followed the two men out of the cabin. They were in their early fifties, both with short hair and blue eyes. They were talking quietly to each other as I followed them out of the cabin to their unmarked car. Now, the man with the glasses said. If you could just lead us to your town. Sure. I replied. We drove deeper into the park. Our vehicle was equipped with a topographical GPS system, which made it easy to navigate through the rugged terrain. 
After an hour of driving we came to a hill overlooking a wide valley. We passed the sign for Hungry Horse. Did you see the sign? I yelled. The men just looked at each other. I'm sorry, what? The shorter one asked. There's a sign here. It says Hungry Horse, right? The man shook his head. I don't see anything. He pulled off the road and stopped right before the sign. He turned off the engine and looked at me. Maybe we should get out and look again. He suggested. I agreed. I got out of the car and ran over to the sign. It's right here, I shouted. He walked up behind me and looked over my shoulder. What the hell is this? It's a sign. It says hungry horse, I yelled. He looked at me and glared. I grabbed his arm and pulled him over to where I could see the sign. Can't you read? He pulled away and rolled his eyes. Read what? It says hungry horse, I yelled. What the hell are you talking about? He yelled back. I pointed at the sign. Look. The name of the town. The man sighed. There's no sign there. I got angry and was about to yell at the agent when out of the corner of my eye I saw someone walking towards us from the out of the woods in the direction of the town. It was Irene, the older woman from the hardware store. My eyes lit up and I pointed at her. Irene, I yelled excitedly. The agent turned to face the old woman. His eyes widened in surprise and he opened his mouth to say something, but before he could Irene hit him and sent him flying into a tree. You shouldn't have come back ranger, she hissed. With lightning speed, she charged the agent with the glasses. Run, I yelled and jumped into the car. It was too late for the agent. Irene had already snapped his neck. I frantically ran back to the unmarked car and tried to start it. The engine sputtered and failed to turn over. Irene stood directly in front of me, blocking my path back to the cabin. What the F are you I yelled. You should have never come here, she said. You have no idea what you're getting yourself into. What the hell is going on? I yelled. She snarled and lunged forward. Her teeth had grown sharp and she snapped at me, but I evaded her bite and rammed my fist into her stomach. God damn it, I yelled. I grabbed her shoulders and threw her into the side of the car. She slid across the hood and fell to the ground. I jumped around the car and kicked her once in the ribs. I'm going to kill you, I said. She smiled. I've been dead for years honey. I was about to punch her again when a hand grabbed my arm and yanked me backwards. I spun around and stared at the person who grabbed my arm. It was Thomas, my partner. He had followed the agents and I. What the hell are you doing? I yelled. Don't be stupid. We have to get back to the cabin. I looked at him and shook my head. No. We can't run from these things, I said flabbergasted. What the hell is wrong with you? He slapped me hard across the face. Shut up. Shut the F up. Just shut up. I rubbed my cheek and looked at Thomas in disbelief. What the hell are you talking about? His eyes were wide open with panic, I heard Irene starting to get up. You have to leave now. Right now. He grabbed me by the collar and pushed me into the driver's seat of the dead agent's car. Get in, he yelled. And drive. What about you? I asked. I can't fight them anymore. You know how many rangers they've taken? He said just get out of here. 
We just found out about the town yesterday. How do you know this shit? I yelled. You just found out about the town. He replied. The F does that mean? Just go. I'll keep Irene occupied. Get back to the cabin and read my journal. I don't believe this shit. He nodded. I know. I pulled a 180 and sped back down the road towards the cabin. I saw Thomas jump on Irene in the rear view mirror. He looked bigger than he usually does. He was standing on top of her, pinning her arms to the ground. F you, Irene yelled. Thomas punched her in the face and she went limp. Stay down bitch. The last thing I saw was Thomas running towards the town. I'm back at the cabin and reading through his journal. There's so much I never knew about him. I'm a 71-year-old retired police officer. I've been trained to observe people and their surroundings and to relay them accurately. My first encounter was in October of 1991. I and a group of friends leased a 4,800-acre ranch in Young County, Texas. I was the only bow hunter in our group. That allowed me to add a month to my deer hunting season. The night before the October 1st bow season opener I was in my tent when I was awakened around midnight by a loud screaming noise. I heard a series of three or four evenly spaced screams. It sounded like a woman in distress. At the time it was more than 10 miles to the nearest house. After settling down I wrote the screams off to a mountain lion. I got up at 3 hours and was in my stand well before daylight. I climbed up into my ladder stand and found three rocks stacked where my butt sits. After my morning hunt, I left an apple beside the stacked rocks. I had five bow stands for different wind directions and found three stacked stones in all of them. I never heard the screams or had any problems for the next 20 years hunting that place. Fast forward to 2003. Then I was hunting a ranch 13 miles south of Seymour, Texas in late October. I was in my ladder stand well before daylight. I had a ladder stand and some timber that ran along a fence line that bordered a huge mesquite tree flat. The cold front that I've been waiting for arrived half an hour or so before daylight. An intense thunderstorm broke out, so I decided to stay put as any shelter was three miles away. I had my rain gear on, and it was so comfortable I fell asleep. I was sitting 15 feet above the ground and was awakened by a loud crash of thunder following a series of lightning bolts that lit up the sky bright as day. I glanced over to the right and standing not 5 feet from me and down 5 or so feet stood the most amazing thing I have ever seen. It was a very hairy, very tall and muscular human-like creature. This creature stood at least 10 feet tall and was covered in light brown silver hair. It had a huge head sitting on vast and muscular shoulders. It had no neck, a heavy brow ridge, and a defined human-like nose. The eyes were deep set with dark rings below the eyes. It had heavy dark eyebrows and the whites of its eyes were coffee-colored or bloodshot. The iris of both eyes were a yellowish-green color and the pupils were very dilated. Its face was human-like with a full beard and little or no mustache. The lips were darker than the facial skin and were normal-sized in relation to his face. The color of the skin on its face was a medium brown and the arms were longer than a human arm. It must have weighed at least 700 pounds. Its legs were thick and muscular. 
When it exhaled I could see his breath as the temperature had just dropped to mid-30s Fahrenheit. The hair covering his body was dripping water from the longer hairs. I have no idea if it was male or female. I do not know how long it had been there watching me. The odd thing is that I felt no fear, just a sense of wonderment of being in the presence of this amazing creature. If this being had wanted me it could have snatched the life right out of me with no trouble. After the next lightning flash, I looked back in its direction and it was gone. I never saw it again. I did leave another apple on the seat in my ladder stand and it was gone the next time I sat at that stand. I forgot to mention that as the sun rose I could see that the tree I was in was covered in monarch butterflies. As the sun rose every tree I could see for at least half a mile down the fence line was covered in them. They left in waves of tens of thousands until the last ones left at 9.30 hours or so. It was a wonderful experience. My cousin and I had just finished eating dinner and playing a round of golf. It was June 21, 2012, in Superior, Wisconsin. We were driving on a two-lane road that leads back into the east side of our city. As we turned right at a corner that led back into the main road, we drove another 100 feet until on the right side of the road I saw an 8-9 to nine foot figure that was walking back into the edge of the forest located under a street light. I immediately hit the brakes, unsure of what I saw. My cousin who was in the passenger seat looked as shocked as I was. I yelled, I think that was an alien. The car came to a stop and my cousin yelled, go go go. I sped up and my eyes were tearing up as I couldn't believe what I had just seen. My cousin, said, I thought I was seeing things. I replied, no, I saw it too. We drove to our apartment which was nearby still shocked and startled. I immediately called some friends. They came and picked me up and drove us back to the spot where I saw the figure. I explained what happened to them. And when we drove back to the location some brush looked to be parted where something had walked through it. I made the call to the local authorities. The figure stood 8 to 9 feet tall and had a tall rounded crown crown shaped head. The head was as big as a human abdomen. The figure was somewhat muscular looking, it had big eyes, but not stereotypical alien-like, long legs and it did not seem started whatsoever. The winding river beckoned to me, its gentle current promising a tranquil journey through the heart of nature. Canoeing had always been my solace, a way to escape the demands of the modern world and find peace in the embrace of the wilderness. This particular river trip was one I had undertaken many times before, each venture offering new discoveries and moments of reflection. As I embarked on the familiar route, the rhythm of paddling and the soothing sounds of the water against the canoe's hull became a meditative symphony. The sun's warm rays danced on the water's surface, creating a shimmering path that seemed to lead me deeper into the heart of the woods. The highlight of this journey was the 125-mile portage through the dense forest. It was a challenging stretch that required strength and determination, but the sense of accomplishment upon reaching the other side always made it worthwhile. As I shouldered my canoe and began the trek through the woods, I marveled at the towering trees and the earthy scent of the undergrowth. Only a few miles from the town, 
where a quaint motel and a taxidermy shop were the main places to stay, I relished the feeling of being far removed from the bustle of daily life. The tranquility was almost palpable, a precious commodity in a world that never seemed to stop moving. However, my idyllic journey took an unexpected turn as I trudged along the portage trail. I had become attuned to the sounds of the forest, the rustling of leaves, the distant calls of birds, and the occasional scurrying of small animals. But on this day, something felt different. The air was still, and an eerie silence hung in the atmosphere. It was then that I noticed movement out of the corner of my eye. A group of children emerged from the woods, their presence unsettling against the backdrop of nature. They moved with an uncanny silence, almost as if they were gliding rather than walking. Their sudden appearance caught me off guard, and I watched as they regarded me with curious, almost calculating eyes. The feeling that washed over me was reminiscent of a scene from a thriller, a sensation that one might experience when encountering the unknown in the midst of wilderness. The deliverance vibes were palpable, and a shiver ran down my spine as a strange sense of unease settled in my gut. The children's gazes lingered on me for a moment before they turned and, without a word, retreated back into the woods from which they had come. The sight was so surreal, their departure so swift, that I felt as though I had stumbled upon a secret realm inhabited by enigmatic beings. As they disappeared into the forest, my heart pounded in my chest, and instinct took over. Without a second thought, I hurriedly set my canoe down and began making my way back in the direction I had come from. The once familiar path now seemed foreign and foreboding, each rustle of leaves and distant sound magnified by my heightened senses. My pulse didn't return to its normal rhythm until I was back in my canoe, paddling furiously down the river away from that eerie encounter. The beauty of the surroundings, which had previously filled me with a sense of serenity, now seemed tainted by an unshakable feeling of unease. It was with a mix of relief and trepidation that I finally reached the town and spotted the familiar motel on the riverbank. The sight of civilization was like a balm to my frayed nerves, a reminder that I had returned from the unknown and into the realm of the familiar. As I docked my canoe and stepped onto solid ground, I couldn't help but glance back at the woods I had emerged from. The memory of those silent, curious children lingered in my mind, a puzzle piece that would forever remain unanswered. And as I walked past the taxidermy shop, I couldn't shake the feeling that I had narrowly escaped a brush with something otherworldly on that seemingly ordinary canoe river trip. Partner and I set off for a weekend camping trip in the Rocky Mountains after work on a Friday. Late start, so we didn't get to the road we were looking to camp off of until late. It was getting dark, we found a cleared area, parked my jeep and hastily set up our 2.5-person tent, threw in our sleeping arrangements and dog, and hopped in the tent for the night. We were playing a board game sitting cross-legged around 9p when something swiped at the back of my head through the tent wall. We panicked a bit, used remote start on the car to scare whatever it was off. I tried to convince myself and my partner that it was a falling stick. There was no wind and we were in a clearing. The next morning we came to discover that we were about 10 feet from a half-eaten deer in a mountain lion's pantry. I got pet on the head by a mountain lion. 
Mind you I'm well above average height and this kitty was taller than me sitting down. This story dates back to 2009 when I was 45 years old and living in a home I owned in Boca Raton, Florida. I am an educated business professional who enjoys reading about paranormal things, but never really had any encounter to speak of. It was early in the afternoon, and I had a friend over who was helping out with some electrical work on the second floor. I walked away for a moment down the hall when all of a sudden I heard a voice whisper directly in my ear you're going to be arrested. I immediately felt weak to my knees and nauseous and got slightly dizzy. It felt as if something or some energy field had traversed right through me. I swear it sounded as if a person had leaned over and spoken right into my ear, but of course, no one was there. I had no idea what to make of the message or the experience. I sat in my downstairs office, bewildered by what just occurred. I started to nervously fidget with things and picked up an old ski mask I had lying there. I don't know why, but I shoved a white paper plate into it, drew rather angry eyes in its sockets, and leaned it upright against the wall on my desk, staring at it but not aware of a reason why I did that. My friend came downstairs, but I didn't mention anything about what had just happened. Frankly. I wouldn't have known how to relate it. Two days later, at about 6 am, my doorbell rang. A short young man stood there and said he crashed into my garbage cans, and if I got a hefty bag, he'd clean it up. I was half asleep, not cognizant of how weird this was, and made my way to the garage. I hit the door opener button, the door started to rise, and then I was bum-rushed by a dozen camouflaged men pointing M16 machine guns at me. I was tackled to the ground, handcuffed, and dragged out front. Now wouldn't you know it, all of these guys had on ski masks. In fact, there were about 50 officers from the DEA, FBI, and Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office, all of them masked. It turned out that a particular individual whom I rented a house in another town had been caught making drugs there, and that lowlife told the cops it was my operation, just to save his own skin. They came to my house thinking they were going to find Pablo Escobar or a Walter White type. I wound up spending a night in jail before anyone could get me out and sort out the mess. All charges were dropped, of course, but I think some angel or otherworldly being saw this coming and tried to warn me. Because I didn't have any clue as to what was going on at my rental property and there certainly was nothing going on in my own life to validate a fear of arrest, some entity knew it was coming and more or less just told me so. It didn't really help in any way. I will never forget that voice, although it was no one I could recognize. The story takes place in Western Massachusetts. Five years ago, I was driving to work bright and early in the morning and the SUV next to me was in a right turn only lane, I was in the straight lane while we were waiting for the light to change. I didn't think much of it or look at the SUV or driver until the light changed and they also tried going straight. At that point, I looked over as they were basically trying to run me off the road to go straight and veering into me. I was going to honk but then the middle-aged lady who was driving, jerked head to the side, looked right at me and her whole face morphed into a terrifying face. I don't even know how to describe it. It elongated and looked awful and terrifying. 
like that scream painting by Edward Munch. But way more terrifying. It's like she decided to show me what she really is and it changed in a flash. I slammed on my brakes, she, or it, cut in front of me and I ended up taking the very next right turn just to get away from her, and parked on the side of the road to catch my breath. I don't do drugs, I sometimes have a couple of beers after work, but nothing crazy. I've never seen anything like this before or after and I've been too scared to mention it to anyone but my husband for the fear of being called a crazy person. I saw her face change right before my eyes and to this day absolutely certain of what I saw. The feeling that came over me was just absolute terror and the look she gave me was certainly menacing. Has anyone else ever experienced anything like that? Instead of a grin, it was an open mouth expression with a threatening, pissed off look. But the mouth and entire eye area were black. And the same, an elongated pointy face that no human could just naturally morph their face to make. Really, really freaky. The color of the face changed. More like a loss of color. Everything around the eyes got really dark and had a big open dark scary mouth. I shake just thinking about that day. I've had way too many experiences that were odd. I just didn't want to include them with the story and sound like a total loon. I had a very, very traumatic childhood. I survived a war, had really terrible things happen to me, and saw horrible things happen to others including seeing children get killed. I was 10 when I came to the US as a refugee and spoke no English. I think that trauma made me more sensitive to the spirit world. I get feelings good and bad that something is going to happen, and it does. My husband and my boss call me psychic. People are also always shocked by how well I can just read their minds. I don't try to, I just know what they're trying to say before they even finish saying it. I've also experienced ghosts many times, including one in our last house that my kids and husband are 100% sure of too. He didn't give menacing feelings though and never physically manifested himself. We and even our friends experienced watching the doorknob turn on the front and back door and the doors swing open. He also has a weird thing for oil. Twice, a bottle of oil slowly moved from the back of the counter, towards the front, until it fell over onto the ground. Both times I had a witness with me who also saw it. I call it him because I work as a real estate paralegal and reviewed the history of the house and found a man named Dana died there young of lung cancer. However, my son when he was young, swears that a little girl said hello to him in the bathroom there. Things slowed down there and in my new house, there is no activity at all now. When I went to visit my home country, I also went to Turkey and bought these amulets called Nazar. Once I put them in the house, the ghost activity became pretty much non-existent. I'm afraid to experiment with this spiritual sensitivity. I don't want to be bothered by spirits all the time. I went to Salem and refused to do any seances or anything that could attach a spirit to me. Years ago I dated a guy who had a heavy drug and alcohol addiction. It was really sad. He would be the sweetest person ever during the day and then get absolutely hammered and turn into a totally different person, mean, angry, verbally abusive. The next day he didn't remember any of it. One night I was drunk with him and we were having a great time. 
We went to bed and it was like a switch was flipped and he was angry and upset and calling me names. He started saying really weird crap like that the Chinese mafia was after him. He was terrified and deadly serious. I'll never forget how at one point I looked at him and he didn't look like him anymore. It was like his face changed to this creepy gesture looking face but not human. I was like WTF? Why is your face different? He responded, Eric isn't here right now. This reminds me of a line you would hear in an exorcist movie. We went to bed and of course the next day he was back to normal and had no idea what he did and said all night because he was blacked out. To this day I think he was possessed and it took over when he was drinking. He also said that one time he was a kid and he went into the woods and tried inviting a demon to possess him and nothing happened. Makes me wonder. I had an experience in an old house I was renting. I basically got a good deal. If I rented it I would promise to work on it and fix some of the problems. This was a city auctioned hole that had been abandoned for several years and become a local dope house for the homeless. When I looked at it originally it was infested with fleas. I was wearing a pair of shorts, upon entering the backyard a city public works letter of condemning notice for flea infestation. The landlord was caught off guard as he bought it sight unseen. The city came and fumigated the yard four times wearing suits with oxygen to get rid of the issue. Back to the real story of too many out of that house in just one year. Now a bit on me beforehand, I've been told by a few friends of the secondary nature that I hold a certain light or direction for the spiritual realm. Sort of a beacon either for drawing them near or to warm them. I had to come to grips with that idea in this house, as I write my entire body tingling as every hair on me is standing straight up. Anyway back to the story. I had a couple of friends and roommates over. It was a late night for the fun the night before, mind you I had just months prior to this particular incident lost my wife of 7 years to lupus. Her pain was real. That is a whole different story for another day. I had been lounging all day, in and out of the kitchen. It was now about 6pm in the evening late summer I'd say August I believe L. I was lying on the floor watching TV and suddenly I felt a weight in chest and my arms which were already on my chest not really crossed but close. The weight pressed on harder for what felt like an eternity. Some say it was anxiety, but mine is different I feel like I swallowed a softball and it is stuck. This was hard dead weight, literally sucking the air right out of me then suddenly I sit straight, something yanked me up. In trying to call to my roommate like a night terror she finally sees me immediately comes to me and my arms won't release she even tries to slap me, to no avail. Then I'm flip-flopped over in the prone position, and like you said in the movie The Ring, this dark hair, extremely wire thin and mangled face, ripping apart at every fold crawling under me pulling itself straight to my face and leans in so fiercely. She lets out this terrifying blood boiling scream and odor like a sewer coming from all over her. Finally, another roommate just getting home heard the scream from outside while getting out of her boyfriend's truck and came running in to help. I hadn't spoken this story to anyone for fear of it returning. To this day we'll never forget that face. Afterward, I immediately called my friend who is gifted, who is one of the people who told me of my gift. 
I went to explain it as she already knew and let me know that someone at some time or another had ritualistic, Ouija, behavior or celebrations. Those so-called toys are not to be used by anyone who isn't experienced. They can bring things unwanted. 